Good morning, everyone. I want to thank you again for welcoming us from Riverstone Church into your homes this Easter Sunday morning when we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. For those of you who are from a perhaps liturgical church background, we might at this point say, He is risen, and you'll respond, He is risen indeed. You know, this is a, a crazy time, isn't it? Just absolutely crazy. Seems so out of control. And as I was praying over and thinking about the intersection of Easter and the coronavirus, the Lord led me, I believe, to bring a message from his word from an unusual portion of scripture that isn't often related to Easter, but yet the Bible relates it to Easter. We're actually going to look at Psalm chapter 2. So I want to invite you to take your Bible and turn to Psalm chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, hopefully you'll be able to listen along. And those of you who are just joining us, there are many more people who are exploring Christianity who want to learn the Bible. We want you to feel free to join us. You can come to our website on a regular basis and study with us. Join ongoing Zoom Bible studies as well. It's a lot of emotion, a lot of fear, a lot of confusion going on right now. And I found it to be really encouraging that Psalm 2 is about a coronation of a king, the crowning or coronation of a king. And so my sermon this Easter Sunday morning 2020 is basically this, the comfort of a coronation during the coronavirus. Now you might, you might just be thinking to yourself, what? A coronation and a comfort during the coronavirus? Are you crazy? Well, I'd like you to think with me for just a moment that Easter, the resurrection of Jesus, is not just about him coming out of the ground. While that's extremely true, Christ is risen indeed, and he's brought us living hope. We can be comforted that his sacrifice was accepted by God. We experience the power of his resurrection. We have the reality of being a witness of his resurrection. But Easter is not just about his resurrection. It is also about his coronation. It is also about the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ, when he rose from the dead, he said to his disciples, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. You see, in the Old Testament, God had predicted in the book of Daniel that one day a son of man would come before the father and that the father would give to him all the nations as an inheritance. And so what we find is that when we read the New Testament as the apostles tried to wrestle with the resurrection of Christ and how it fit with the Old Testament, they were drawn to several psalms that we don't always turn to. In fact, in the book of Acts, they quoted from several psalms, particularly Psalm 2 and Psalm 110, as they thought about the resurrection of Jesus. Because in their mind, the resurrection of Jesus was the beginning of God's elevation of Jesus to a new position of Lord over all of the earth. In fact, Psalm 110 David said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool of your feet. And so this morning, we're going to look at Psalm 2, 
And I'd like to give you some background that'll help us to understand how this relates to Easter and how a coronation can help us in the midst of a coronavirus. You see, it was traditional in the Middle East back then that when a new king came into power that they would experience a special ceremony, much like we might have an inauguration of a king. And what they would do is they would gather the people around and sometimes the father would then turn over his authority, his monarchship, his kingship to his son. Now, when this ceremony was taking place, we know from extra biblical literature that there were many nations in the Middle East who all had their own kings. And usually, depending on where we are in history, one king had the authority over all the other kingdoms. And so the other kingdoms paid tribute. They were subservient. They had to give, give support and be in submission to whichever kingdom was reigning. Now the irony is, often in history, when a new king was crowned, the nations around that kingdom would find that as an opportune time to rebel because after all, this is a new and inexperienced king. And so we learn from history that sometimes kings, when they found out about a coronation of a king, would then begin to rebel and try to overthrow the, the, the newly crowned king. Well, Psalm 2 is a very interesting psalm. It's often coupled together with Psalm 1. And many believe that it's a description of the coronation of King David. As King David was told by God, I will be a father and the Messiah, your, your descendant will be a son to me, that this is actually a, a celebration of the ceremony of the coronation of the king. And so as we look at this psalm, we're going to actually see that there are four stanzas in which we see this interaction, this tension that's taking place about this coronation, and when we close this morning, we'll find that it can directly relate to our coronavirus experience. So I'd like you to begin with me in verses 1 through 3, where we see that the world is in rebellion against God. In other words, the world does not want God or his king to reign. Let's look at Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. The psalmist says, why are the nations in an uproar? Why are the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth, they take their stand, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Now, the word anointed here is the Messiah. And here's their declaration. Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. Now, God has determined from the beginning that he's the king of the earth. He's not sharing that with anybody. The Bible says in Psalm 29, the Lord sits as king forever. Like it or not, God, the creator of the universe, sits as king over the earth. And because he's king over the earth, he has every right to determine who will rule under him, where they will rule, when they will rule, and how they will rule. 
Now, it's funny, even the very phrase, king of the earth, causes us to think back to our childhood when we used to play games like king of the hill. There's something inside of humanity, and it, and it came as a result of our rebellion against God, that mankind himself wants to rule the earth. And if you look back on history, we see terrible despots back in the Roman culture, and even as recently as Adolf Hitler, men with this thirst to rule over the, over the whole earth. So what we find here is that when the nations that surrounded Jerusalem, Israel, found out about the coronation of the Lord's anointed, that they decided, uh-uh, no way. We will not listen to God's anointed king. We are going to rebel. Now, the interesting thing here is that this becomes a microcosm of humanity. Because the Bible actually tells us that all of humanity is in rebellion against God. Even though they know God, the Bible says they do not honor him as God, neither are they thankful. So we learn from Scripture, from Romans chapter 8, that the natural mind of all the people of the earth is hostile to God. It is unwilling. It is unable to submit to God. And so we see here that the world has always been in rebellion against God. And in this coronation psalm, when the world learns that God has determined who his king will be, they don't like it and they're going to fight him. The second stanza is found in verses 4 through 6 where we see the response of the Lord. We see the rebellion of the world. Now let's look at the response of the Lord. Verse 4 says, He who sits in the heavens. God doesn't get agitated. He doesn't jump up and get frustrated and pace around. The Bible says the Lord sits as king forever. In his sovereign authority, he tells us that he laughs. Wait, what? He laughs? God laughs? I don't want you to think of this as a laughter of a belly laugh after a funny sitcom but rather a, a, a laugh of derision that says, seriously, you're going to rebel against me? Psalm 59 speaks of unbelievers. In verse 5, it says, God of hosts, awake and punish the nations. They howl like dogs. They belch with their mouths. They say, who hears me? But you, Lord, laugh at them. You scoff at the nations. The psalmist said, because of this, because of your strength, O God, I will watch for you. And so God's first response as he sees the nations in rebellion is, is that he laughs. He scoffs at them. Kind of a different picture of God, isn't it? More than just a Mr. Rogers, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. My God is only a God of love. God is a holy, sovereign king. And then God responds verbally. He starts with a, a laugh and then he will speak to them and you'll notice another emotion. He will speak to them in his anger. You see, we have to understand that anger in itself is not necessarily sinful. There is such a thing as a holy anger. There are things that make God angry. And one of the things that makes God angry is a shaking of the fist and a rebellion against him. Doesn't mean he doesn't love us. 
Doesn't mean that he's impetuous and just ready to shoot lightning bolts, but it makes him anger, angry. Not only does he speak to them in his anger, but then it says he will terrify them in his fury. You know, it's, it's interesting here because some commentaries believe that what God did at this time, maybe when David crowned Solomon, is that he sent a great thunderstorm. And while I don't think there's any way to support that, we all know that we could just be walking around doing whatever we want. Well, when a great burst of lightning and thunder blasts through the sky, that can, that can certainly rock our world. And we get a sense of the authority and power of the Lord. And so the scriptures tell us that God, as he sees mankind in rebellion, he will speak to them in his fury. But notice what God says. You don't want my son to be king over you, but I've already made up my mind. Verse six says, but as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. God's not waiting for the final vote. He has not made sure he has enough electoral votes. There's no campaign. There's no dimpled chads. This is not a democratic decision. God alone, the sovereign king of the universe, has determined that his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is going to reign over the earth. And not only has he selected the person who will be king of the earth, He has also selected the place. You'll notice in verse 6. My king I have installed upon Zion. My holy mountain. And so the Bible actually teaches that the city of Jerusalem is a very important city on this earth. It's not just one of many cities. It's the city where God has chosen to appoint his Messiah, his king, to reign over the earth. Well, now we come to our third stanza. The world has spoken in rebellion. We don't want you to rule over us and we're not going to accept your king. The Lord God responds in his rage. As for you, I have already set my king upon Zion. But now the king himself speaks. Verses seven through nine, the third of of four stanzas. This is actually the Lord Jesus. This is him weighing in. This is Jesus speaking to the world today. Jesus says, I will surely tell you of the decree of the Lord. So what we learn from other texts and from extra biblical literature is that when there was a coronation of a new king, there was a ceremony and there was a proclamation. And sometimes there were statutes and decrees and statements and promises that were made. Jesus says, I will tell you of the decree that the Lord has said. He said to me, you are my son. Today, I have begotten you. That verse is quoted a number of times in the New Testament. And what I want you to understand is that when it says here that today he has begotten him, This is not about Jesus' creation, that somehow God gave birth to a son. It is not about Jesus' incarnation. This is about Jesus' coronation. This verse is actually telling us that God has placed Jesus 
as king. In fact, I know this to be true because in Psalm, or I'm sorry, in Acts chapter 13, Paul actually quotes this verse. Paul says to the people, he says, listen, as to the fact that God has promised to raise up the Messiah, he said in Psalm 2, thou art my son, this day I have begotten thee. And this day today is actually the day that Christ was resurrected as the living Lord. And from that day forth, God has appointed and anointed and placed him as king over the earth. This is why David tells us in, or or Peter tells us in Acts chapter 2, he says, therefore let the house of Israel know for certain that God has made Jesus both Lord and Messiah. Jesus Christ has been elevated. He's been crowned as king of the whole world and he's seated at God's right hand. But in his providence, he has not yet chosen to unleash the fullness of that reign. There are many rebels still to be subdued. And so you'll notice that the Lord then says this. This is what God said to me. He said, ask of me. The father looked at his son Jesus. He said, son, as I crown you as king, ask of me. What do you want for your inheritance? I will surely give you the nations as your inheritance. The very ends of the earth as your possession. That's profound. That is profound, folks. God the Father, as he spoke this universe into, into orbit and space, and he created this little dome planet called Earth, he has determined that every inch of planet Earth will come under the lordship and dominion of Jesus Christ. And everywhere, people from tribe, tongues, and nations will come in submission to the reigning Lord Jesus, the king of the nations. The very ends of the earth are his possession. This is really interesting. Those of you who are familiar with Revelation, in chapter 5, John finds a scroll in which he begins to weep because no one's able to open the scroll. And while that scroll is not identified in Revelation 5, many scholars believe, and I agree with them, that that scroll represents the title deed to the earth. They used to have title deeds and they would seal the scrolls with wax. And as the Lord Jesus comes forth, the angel says, the lion of the tribe of Judah has overcome so as to open the scrolls. And as he opens the scrolls, when he comes to the sixth seal, it says, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And so Psalm 2 is a reminder that the Lord Jesus, who died on the cross, who shed his precious blood to forgive us of our sins, who was laid in a tomb for three days, but on that third day he was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Holy Spirit. But he was then crowned as king. Jesus Christ is king of the universe. But you'll notice verse 9, God said to him, I've given you the earth as your possession. You shall rule them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. 
It's very interesting. We know from extra biblical literature that sometimes when a king would come into power, he would take pieces of pottery which had the names of surrounding nations. And symbolically, he would take that an iron rod and he would smash the pottery, the other nations around him, demonstrating that he was going to take over and he was going to rule over them. This particular passage is quoted in the book of Revelation as the Lord Jesus is speaking to the churches in Revelation 2 and 3. We are reminded that one day Jesus will rule the nations with a rod of iron. He will shatter them like earthenware. And you see, folks, as we think about the coronavirus and and how God at times has intervened on planet Earth and brought plagues and severe trials and severe painful experiences, what shouldn't surprise us is that these things happen. What should surprise us is how rarely these things happen. It is a wonderful demonstration of the mercy of God. God is not afraid to display his power. God is not afraid to take over and rule and reign. But our God through Jesus Christ is a patient, merciful, loving, gracious God who's not willing that any should perish. And so the final stanza of this psalm gives us an application. It actually is an invitation, so to speak. We have the world in rebellion. We have the Lord's response. We have the reminder of Jesus that God has already chosen me. But now we have a great warning to the world. And I'd like to suggest that there are parallels to the coronavirus. I believe that the coronavirus may very well be one of God's warnings to the world to stop. And think and listen. And so envision these surrounding kings of of Edom and the Philistines and the Syrians and the Babylonians and other kings gone. We're not going to have the king of Jerusalem reign over us. We're not going to be under God. We will not submit to Adonai nor to his anointed. Now God graciously offers them a tender but firm warning, an invitation to turn and change. He says, now therefore, O kings, show discernment. Some translations say, be wise. In other words, stop and assess the direction that you're heading. Think about the consequences if you determine that you will continue in rebellion against the Lord. Take warning, O judges of the earth. What a gracious word from the Lord. Jesus is coming back. He will come and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess him as Lord. And this Easter, as we remember his coronation, we're reminded that in his patience, he's sending out a warning. Take warning, O judges of the earth. He's given five things to do. Number one, show discernment. Number two, take warning. Number three, he says, worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. 
What an odd combination. Rejoice with trembling. In fact, Psalm 100 tells us to come, let us bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our maker. But we're invited to rejoice. But it's not a a slap happy rejoicing. It's a reverent rejoicing. Literally, this word worship the Lord could be translated serve the Lord. Serve him with reverence. Lay down your weapons and stop fighting against him. Turn from your autonomy. Determine that you're no longer going to live for yourselves. You see, so many people think that rebellion against God is only when you say bad words about him. Rebellion against God is when we ignore him in our daily lives. And can I say, folks, we have lost our way. Here in America, even among the Christian churches, we have lost our way. And God is inviting us to come back. Verse 12 is very interesting. It says, do homage to the Son. Literally in Hebrew, it says, kiss the Son. And we know that at that time, it was, it was not out of the question for a king in submission to bow down and kiss the foot of the reigning king. Do homage to the son, lest he become angry with you and you perish in the way. What a wonderful reminder this Easter that Jesus reigns, that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus has been raised from the dead. He has been seated at the right hand of God. Our king is risen. Our king is coming again. Our king will rule over the world. You say, yeah, but pastor, that's all good and well, that prophecy stuff, Jesus is coming again. But what about right now? How am I going to get through this? I lost my job. I'm afraid I'm going to die. My kids, uh, the country, the economy, I don't know what to do. Don't miss the precious closing phrase of verse 12. How blessed, how blessed that Hebrew word, shalom, how, how happy, how peaceful are all those who take refuge in him. This Easter Sunday morning, as we celebrate the fact that Jesus paid for our sins, that we don't have to earn our salvation, we don't have to do penance, we don't have to, to do anything but realize that Jesus paid it all on the cross and he was buried and he was raised again and God has crowned him as king. He simply invites us to come and take refuge in him. To take refuge in the Lord is to trust him. It's to entrust yourself to him. It's to give your life in believing faith to Christ. You can do that. I've been getting emails from individuals, some from Christians telling me that this coronavirus has caused a tremendous change in their life and that they are no longer living for the world, but they're living for Christ. I got an email this morning from someone written at 5.30 this morning saying, I couldn't sleep all night because I wasn't sure whether I was saved and I wanted to make sure, and this is what I prayed, to take refuge in the Lord. And from this day forth, I know that I'm saved. What a beautiful verse. How blessed 
are all who take refuge in him. Where are you going to hide from the coronavirus? Where is there a safe place? Where is there a room? It's the Lord. To take refuge in the Lord. To enter into the presence of God through Jesus Christ and to find your shelter in the Lord. As I close this message, I want to just have you think with me about a couple things. There are four things that we can do as a result of this. Number one, as I think about the coronation of Jesus, the risen Easter King of Kings, Jesus my Lord. As I face this coronavirus, number one, we can pray. We can pray. You say, well, yeah, but pastor, what does prayer have to do with Psalm 2? You ready for this? Read Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, the apostles were beaten, they were arrested, and they were threatened with death. And so when they were released and told, don't ever preach again, Acts chapter 4 says this, they reported to the church, they reported to the church the threats that came against them. And you know what the church did? The church quoted Psalm 2 and they prayed. You say, no, come on. That's exactly what they did. Let me read it to you. Acts 4 in verse 24 says, when they heard this, the church, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and then they thought about Psalm 2. They said, O Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of David, you said, why do the nations rise? Why do they rage and devise futile things? You said, Lord, that the kings of the earth took their stand together and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. They quoted that psalm and then they prayed. And what I want you to notice here is they did not pray that the Lord would take away their persecution. They simply prayed that they would be bold in the face of persecution. They said, Lord, truly in this city they were gathered together against thy holy servant Jesus, whom you did anoint, herited Pontius Pilate. But knowing God's sovereignty, they said, now they were only doing whatever your hand determined to do. But Lord, take note of their th threats and grant that your servants may speak your word with confidence. Will you extend your hand to heal? And signs and wonders take place through the name of the Holy Servant Jesus. And if you want to know if this prayer was answered, it says, when they had prayed, the place there where they gathered were shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak the word of God with boldness. Let me give you an application here. I'm not suggesting that because the disciples and the apostles, when they quoted Psalm 2, did not ask the Lord to stop the persecution, but only to give them boldness, that we should not ask the Lord to stop the coronavirus. I don't agree with that. I think we should plead with the Lord to stop the coronavirus. We can think of times in the Old Testament when a plague broke out and the priest would go among the people with the incense and stop the plague. Every Christian, like a a priest before God is pleading with God, have mercy, O Lord, have mercy, stop this plague. 
But in addition to that, we can pray, Oh God, stretch forth your hand during this virus. Heal. Do signs and wonders and miracles. And most of all, and this is going to lead me to my second thing, not only do we pray, but this is a wonderful opportunity for us to proclaim the gospel. A wonderful opportunity for us to not cower in fear, but to talk about Jesus and to invite so many of our friends who are in terror, who are absolutely stupefied with fear of dying, that Jesus is the answer. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2 that the devil holds people through fear of death, captives. But as we tell our friends about Christ, Jesus said, he that believes in me, though he were to die, yet shall he live. What an opportunity it is in this time of coronavirus where people are knowing loved ones and, and we're seeing people die. What an opportunity for us to point people to Jesus who said, because I live, you shall live. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, as Christians, we don't need to be afraid for God is with us. He has promised us that goodness and mercy will follow us and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. My dear brothers and sisters, some of you may even have the coronavirus and I pray that God will heal you mercifully. But the word of the Lord to all of us is, do not be afraid. Christ is risen. Because he lives, you shall live. For a Christian, death is just a doorway into his presence. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. The Bible says to live is Christ and to die is gain. I'd encourage you even to invite your friends to listen to the word of the Lord. And as often as we can, this, just today I, I sent a, a brief video to a Jewish friend of mine inviting him to see the, uh, a little article I saw about the Passover and the coronavirus. The other day I sent a video to another friend who's exploring Christianity called The Divine Disruption by Tony Evans. But there's a third thing that we can do as we wind down. Not only do we pray, we pray for boldness, we pray for protection, we pray for courage to advance the gospel, we pray for healing, we pray for unity, we pray for those who are suffering in need, we pray that the Lord will bring comfort and that he will stop the virus. But there's another thing we can do. We can experience God's peace. The Bible says how blessed are those who take refuge in him. How blessed are those who take refuge in him. Do I get afraid when I think about the coronavirus? Yeah, yeah, I'll be honest. There are times that it strikes me and, and I might get a sniffle or I might think, well, wait a minute, what if I die? But what an opportunity. That's, that's when we have the opportunity to practice the very things that we've taught our children. Remember Keith Green or um, Steve Green taught us the little chorus from Psalm 52. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. I will trust in you. I will trust in you. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, let God's promises give you peace. My dear brothers and sisters, how blessed are those who take refuge in him. Run to Jesus. Pour out your hearts before him. Cast your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Tell them all about your troubles. Tell them about your fears and sorrows.
and ask him to give you peace. Remember the word of the Lord, Philippians 4, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayers and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Bring those little ones before God. Name them before the throne. Bring that sick person before Jesus. Like the friends in the gospels, bring them to the feet of Jesus and and pray that God will give us peace. Oh, beloved, may God grant us to experience peace as we think of the coronation. Jesus is reigning. Take refuge in him. But there's one last thing we can pray. We can proclaim Christ and help one another. We can experience peace. We can be there to to share that peace, to meet one another's needs. I want to remind you to go online. If you have a prayer request, we have a special portal there online where you can share requests. You can help people. If you want counseling, our pastors and elders and folks are available. We're here to help one another experience the peace of Jesus. But the last thing I want to invite you to do is make a personal decision. You see, this verse in Psalm 2 invites us to turn. Some of you, today is the day. This Easter Sunday morning, it's time for you to turn from your own ways. It's time for you to be wise, to show discernment, to stop fighting against God, to stop ignoring God, to stop disobeying God, to stop putting God on the back burner. Make a decision to turn and surrender to the Lord and be willing to trust him and be willing to follow him. If that's your desire this morning, I want to invite you as we close to pray with me. Lord Jesus, just tell him right now, Lord Jesus, this verse, this passage has spoken to me. I believe that you are the king. I believe that you died on the cross for all of my sins. I believe that you rose again. I believe that you are crowned as king and coming again. And so today, I trust you. I surrender to you. I ask you to forgive me and make me one of your followers. Help me to rejoice with trembling as I take refuge in you. And Father, for the rest of us, as Riverstone Church, this little fellowship here in Bucks County, may we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. May the coronation of Christ Bring us great comfort in the midst of the coronavirus. Lord, may your spirit give us peace. May your power work through us to proclaim the gospel. May your power heal those that we love who have the virus. May your power protect those that we love. May your power provide for those that are in need. May the body of Christ be awakened. May we be the church in ways that we have failed to be before. Thank you, Lord, for everything you do for us. May God give us an Easter filled with joy. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.